Welcome to another episode of The Recapables Killing Eve. I am here, as always, with Kate Hallowell. Hello. And we are here to discuss Season 2, Episode 4 of this show, Desperate Times, which is... We're really getting into it. This is like the most accurate episode title this show has ever (laughs) had. It really is. Usually it's like a cute cutesy like dialogue quip uh-huh. and this time it's just like everyone is falling apart <laughs> really really falling apart <laughs> which yes. is good because we're now officially at the halfway point we are that happens so fast i know i can't believe we're already here but that means it's a good time to take stock there's a lot to get into but first we're gonna have our quick bite-sized tweet length review kate what is yours my review is a psychopathic emotional crisis has never looked so good my main takeaway is that if you have to have a drug-fueled breakdown over a quote-unquote ex, do it in a silk green dressing gown. I will plan accordingly <laughs> the next time I have one. Yes, please do so. I'm breaking from form a little bit, and in lieu of like a full tweet-length review, I really just want to play a clip of a certain interaction between Hugo the posh boy and Eve. What's the deal with you and Phil now? I don't know. What is it? Do you like watching her or do you like being watched? Both. Do you like watching her or do you like being watched? Both. Really sums it up. (laughs) In the parlance of that old Tumblr meme, that's it. That's the show. That's just like the whole dynamic between the two of them just out in the Amen. open. So I guess Hugo's role is just going to be like pulling out all the icky psychosexual stuff going on beneath the surface and just yeah. being like, here it is. Yep. Thanks, Hugo. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for doing something other than being creepy. While also being creepy. I guess being yeah, creepy is you're a right. double-edged sword You're right. He's doing case. that too. But yes, first, we should probably dive into Plot Corner. We should. There are lots of like little side sort of developments yeah, in this episode. I think just in terms of like pushing the story forward, this was arguably the most significant episode mm-hmm. yet because we actually see Eve like make concrete strides in her career. Yeah, 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 yeah. As opposed to burning every possible bridge in her career. Exactly, exactly. She kind of like put her manic energy and like frustration towards like actual real career advancements this time as opposed to like just kicking plants and taking shots. So yeah, I mean, we we start out with Carolyn, which she's definitely like her own separate character on this show now. We yeah, second get, episode in a row where she yeah, has her own. Where we've gotten a scene with Carolyn like without Villanelle or E, which I'm fully here for. Um, but she, we start out and she's in, she has this boss. So it's also the first time where we've been like, oh, Carolyn is not in charge. Someone is in charge of her. And it's a Harry Potter reunion. Love a Harry Potter reunion. Two it's, characters who never shared the two doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But Carolyn, who played Fiona Shaw, played Petunia on Harry Potter, and her boss in this scene is Madame Hooch, played by Zoe Wanamaker. So she is totally also, different. Similarly, no nonsense though. Yeah, I would say. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's like sitting in her desk, like eating Pringles, spilling them everywhere. No, I don't think so. There's oh, some new please, it's not good. No, no, for God's sake. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Christ, Carolyn. If I wanted to get screwed till my asshole bled, I'd go down to Torture Garden on a Friday night and ask for the full shitting English. Oh. I just love this, like, again, <laughs> fantasy alternate universe we're in where, like, the entire hierarchy of MI6, one of the biggest intelligence organizations in the world, is just, like, slovenly middle-aged ladies. It's <laughs> just incredible. Top to bottom. <laughs> I love it so much. It's also really interesting because last week, Carolyn reminded Eve, you're not the only person I work with. And right. this time, there's just a passing mention made to some 
kind of fuck up Carolyn had with the mission in Lebanon last right. month, which is presumably, I think, like during the run of the show, if yeah. you square the timelines, but like, we've never heard about this. Exactly. Yeah. So she has like so many other things going on. And Eve is just like, I mean, she's not a small part of it, as we've seen. But yeah, in theory, she is like managing all these different operations and in charge of so many different people. Yes. Carolyn contains multitudes, as we've said many times. Oh, but that is true professionally. As well as personally. Yes. And at, we're probably never going to learn any more about what happened in Lebanon that right. put her in hot water, but it's interesting to at least see the passing mention. Right. And then, of course, we have a lot more advancements on this weird Alistair Peel conspiracy case right. situation. So they find out that ev- pretty much everyone close to him is dying. His, you know, his brother-in-law, the wife is brother-in-law, his secretary. The godson, we learn, is who we watched dramatically choke on right. the coffee. Right, a couple episodes ago. And so... Basically, they're concerned that his son is next. They go to talk to his son again. And we're going to get into this a little bit more later. But they go to talk to Aaron at this, like, tech office. I mean, we can just get into it. The yeah. fir- literally the first thing. First of all, this the receptionist woman has an American accent, much like Eve. It's just never explained. Uh-huh. And she just immediately offers them kombucha. Classic. Which I guess, you know, we live in L.A. That's very normal for us. But yeah. I don't think it's quite as routine uh-huh. in London. Right. And it's just this, like, open-air, like, situation. But then, of course, there's, like, a button that Aaron can push and a lawyer just appears. Just appears and sits down. It's just, like, this the whole setup and, like, all the, like, millennials milling around. And Jess is, like, drinking out of the paper straw. And, yeah, it's just, like, so stereotypically, like, tech bro workspace. Yeah, so not much more <laughs> direct clarity into, like, what the Peel Company does or, like, why it would be noteworthy that they're trying to sell bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. But we do get more reminders that, like, it's in the middle of some kind of coordinated attack. We don't really know what's happening. Just as, like, do you think maybe Aaron is? And then Eve is just like, I don't think he takes women seriously enough to ask right. him to do his dirty work. Yeah, and we also actually get sort of a real, like, confrontation between Eve and Aaron, who, again, just, like, is just a huge dick. And basically he goes on this rant about how MI6 is becoming just, they're not important anymore and they're just, they don't matter in the world. You know that this is all over, right? Intelligence, secret services, nations, all of it. How can it go on when companies like this one own more information than the Pentagon and MI6 combined? You're done. Finished. I feel like this is kind of a trope of the modern spy show is that you have to at least have one moment where everyone is like, this is ridiculous. This is so outdated. Why are we doing this? Yeah. This whole genre (laughs) was a thing during the Cold War and now the world doesn't work like that anymore. Like they they had that in the latest Mission Impossible movie where they're like, you can't just be like running around like wearing funky masks all the time. Like that's just (laughs) not how diplomacy or warfare happens anymore. Exactly. We just have to acknowledge it and then we can move past it and get back to the spy stuff. Um, But yeah, Aaron's a huge dick and I hope he gets murdered soon. Same. I mean, he probably will be, but I just hope that the murder is like extra operatic. Maybe yes. that's what brings Villanelle and the ghost together. Ooh, that'd be great. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Same. So a good bridge between the plot side of things and the Eve Pilastri's work-life balance side of things <laughs> is Eve successfully captures or locates and then captures the ghost. Huge. We think. That's huge. We are led to believe maybe this is just some poor, innocent, disgraced doctor lady yeah, who they we don't, misidentified. Yeah, doubtful, but possible. But this is kind of like 
the rare positive development in the work-life balance. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, I mean, obviously she's been leaning more towards the work balance of the work-life balance, but like, yeah, this is the first one where she actually is like, she's put all this effort into her job and it's paid off, which yes. is nice to Crouching see. Crouching barefoot in the office after a week, <laughs> a long weekend with just full corkscrews yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, full on, uh, it's always sunny, like Carol mode. <laughs> yes, so that's kind of like the highlight, but... <laughs> this being a segment about Eve Pilastri's personal life, there's uh-huh. lots of not-so-positive developments as well. Yes, as in- always. Including the fact that she has a security guard and, contrary to their agreement, just forgot to tell Nico about it. Just forgot. Just, you know, it's not important. Just forgot to tell Nico that this guy would be showing up and watching his every move from now on. Yeah, like, the one thing that she materially, like, has to tell Nico and that will it will be very obvious that she didn't tell him about because it affects his day-to-day life. Actually, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Eve, come on. Just, why? That's one text. <laughs> That's one. You don't even have to have a conversation face-to-face. You just be like, hey, we got a security guard for you. And He'll then, be there soon. when Nico brings this up, she pulls the most, like, TV anti-hero bullshit, like, don't you nag me speech. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure, like, literally word for word, this is what Don Draper told Betty when she was like, yo, why are you cheating on me? Yeah, she does. She does like the, oh, my job is hard enough. I don't deserve this when I come home. It's not fun. And Nico, to his credit, handles it beautifully. I'm going upstairs. I need to work. I'm sorry that annoys you. Eve, please listen to me. Having a security guard is not normal. That is... Listen, none of this is normal. And having a wife who tries to gaslight me into thinking that it is, isn't normal either. And it's not kind. Yeah, well, maybe I'm not kind. No, Eve, you are. You are so kind. You're the best person I know. Always have been. That's why I love you. Nico, my heart just melted (laughs) just a little. I just, this is what made me think we might have to switch our running bit from Protect Nico to Protect Eve's Mortal Soul. I know, honestly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm more concerned for her, like, personality and just, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, a running theme of this season that we maybe haven't talked about so much is that the act of stabbing Villanelle has kind of brought her closer to Villanelle in terms of, like, She's a lot more okay with violence. She's yeah. She's a lot more okay with shady work tactics. Uh-huh. She's really, like, blurring a lot of ethical lines that are making her more like this person yeah. that she's supposed to be chasing. Absolutely. She's gotten very manipulative and very, like, just into sort of, like, the material—maybe not the material pursuits, but just, like, very on-the-surface, like, pleasures, I guess you could say. Like, we see later in, like, the episode with eating with Hugo— this moment with Hugo. Oh yes, uh, yeah. Just in the same in the same <laughs> episode where her beautiful, loving husband makes like a impassioned plea for her to like recommit to their marriage and also like being a good person. She just like straight up has a after hours like I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's a real. It's just a moment with a capital M. With Hugo. And yeah. Hugo the- takes her to a fried chicken place, which, like, also, I just do not believe that London has good fried chicken. <laughs> like, That's fair. It's a fish and chips town. Come yep, on. Yeah, come on. But she's, first of all, is like, I literally don't care how this is made, even if it's, like, orphans fried and crack. Like, yep. I, if I'm happy, that doesn't matter. Very on the nose, but we'll take it. Yeah, and then they have this moment where they're, like, talking about she and Villanelle, and, like, it's kind of like he's so corrupt that, like, she can tell him these things. Not corrupt, per se, but, like, he's just, like, such a boy, and, like, like you said, like, everything revolves around sex for him that, like, she can just, like, 
kind of tell him and like he her picks deepest. up on and like understands what's happening right in a right. way that a lot of people don't yeah and they just have this like gross moment where they like lean towards each other and are like connecting well like he leans in to her to like go for the kiss and she has this kind of bemused like I have the power so I'm just right. gonna like let you do this yeah. but I'm not gonna stop you yeah and then her phone buzzes and like they find out they've tracked down the ghost and so she's like oh we have to go back to work but also just, in the, like, Eva's definitely on a slippery ethical slope. Uh-huh. She just straight up tries to, like, throw Jess under the bus and be like, she's pregnant, so maybe she can't handle an international work trip yeah. right now. Super shady, Eve. Come on. Support other women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she's just, like, very much, I don't know, just... Participating in the blatant discrimination against pregnant women in the workplace. We do not stand. We do not. She sure is. And also, real quick, we found out that Carolyn is messing with her mail. Yes. Just a side note. She removed um, the postcard that Villanelle sent her from Amsterdam so that Eve doesn't know that, like, Villanelle was very specifically trying to get her there. So just, like, weird dynamics with all her coworkers right now. Doesn't seem great. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. But she does identify the ghost. So because Eve is really good at her job and she has a lot of affinity with these assassins, she sort of intuits that the ghost is almost definitely, in addition to being like probably non-white middle-aged immigrant worker, Mm -hmm. is also almost definitely like a former medical practitioner. Right. And Kenny just like waves his fingers or whatever he does (laughs) and somehow searches like every like disgraced Uh, nurse or doctor in the UK who also... I was a little like, would they actually be on the cleaning company's payroll? That seems sloppy. Right, yeah. Just go with it. uh, Just trust in Kenny. It works. Um, They find her, (laughs) they pick her up in very suspenseful fashion that we have a really good clip of. Yes. Do you want us to shoot you in front of your kids? It'll be easier if you come with me. Dun, dun, dun. Dark-sided Eve. Yeah, savage. So this, is, this is a great transition, actually, to scene of the week because this yes. was my first nominee. Right, I fully agree. Not only for that extremely intense confrontation over, like, a dropped pound note or whatever Eve uses to engage the ghost, but also when the scene begins, she's just casually speaking in Korean on the phone with her mom. Yeah, love to see it. But there's also the question of, like, Eve is so good at this. It's, like, a little bit concerning. Like, she's so good at just, like, acting and being, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a casual day. Just talking to this lady. And then, like, she just flips the switch so fast. And it's like, oh. And she seems to really <laughs> enjoy wielding the overt threat of violence. Yeah. 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 It's a very, it's, like, a weird, sort of a weird contrast with, like, her sort of villanelle side that we've seen lately where she just, like, can't really control these urges and, like, doesn't really want to. But then she's sort of channeling this into, like, the way Villanelle does when she's on the job and, like, being a professional, she just, like, channels it into sort of not really playing with her, but she's kind of playing with her, like, with the whole—she didn't need to do the whole dollar thing. She did not. It also made me think a lot about how even Villanelle work because they are so opposite. Like, Eve is kind of this obsequious, like, unassuming, not really appreciated person, and Villanelle is this, like, total attention-seeking showboat who's, like, the apt— the total opposite, and that's kind of what draws Eve to her. Whereas mm-hmm. I think the ghost is is a lot like Eve. Yes. Is also, like, very efficient, very professional. They share a lot of demographic traits, but also it's this kind of, like, oh, no one ever sees or appreciates me, and that's kind of a strength, but also kind of frustrating. Right. So it makes sense to me that, like, not just for there would not be a show <laughs> if Eve caught Villanelle in four episodes. Right. 
But it does make a lot of sense to me that, like, Eve and Villanelle would be locked in this cat and mouse, but Eve, like, is so in tune with the ghost that she's like, I know how to find this person. Yeah, yeah. It, anyway, it's. I guess we're going to have the interrogation scene in the next episode, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But it was really cool to see, like, her just go to town and, like, really just lock it down and get her. Oh, yeah. Extremely satisfying. And on the other side of the Eve Villanelle divide, this was definitely a stronger week for Eve than Villanelle. Yeah, tough week for personally. Villanelle. But Villanelle does get to be, like, fully back in her element. She no longer has to pretend that the ghost is doing murders by trapping people's ties in the elevator and doing accidents. Oh, yeah. This is not an accidental murder we see her commit this week. No, no. I guess part of... Like, to answer our question last week of, like, who are the kinds of people who are going to hire freelance assassins, I guess the answer is, like, furious, spurned young mothers who don't appreciate that their husband has been seeing prostitutes dressed like farm animals on the side. Uh Uh-huh. Can't imagine why not. (laughs) So, (laughs) in tune with this. Yes. Villanelle targets this Dutch—she's in Amsterdam. Uh Uh-huh. Beautiful city, amazing location shooting. Shout out to everyone who made that happen on the Killing Eve production. For sure. But she kind of lures this guy into the legal brothels in Amsterdam by wearing a funny pig mask. Extremely creepy pig mask, if you ask me. Extremely creepy. And also the, like, thumbnail for the episode, which we saw before we even saw it, is literally just her, like, sitting in a neon-lit room with a pig mask on. It looks like it's still from Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, it totally does. It's really creepy. She's got, like, the big tutu on with, like, this creepy, gross, like, cartoon pig mask. Um, but apparently that's what he's into, and that's how she gets him, which is like, okay, you deserve yeah. to die. <laughs> and then she literally strings him up like a pig in uh-huh. a brothel window while a bunch of, like, bro-y English tourists are like, oh, I've heard this is popular. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, just, like, split, like, slits his stomach open for everyone to watch. Yeah, I just really enjoyed... Like seeing Villanelle kind of back on her beat. We just, she's been so sidelined for the last few episodes. And it's really nice to have Constantine literally be like, have fun with this. Like, (laughs) she really does. (laughs) She really takes that and runs with it. She does. Especially compared to like the ghost murder scene this week with the the mustache bleach. (laughs) Yeah, could not be more different. And then she also later in the episode when Eve doesn't show up to investigate the murder, basically just like, Goes on a bender and, like, is really sad and goes to this club. Picks up some street drugs. As you do. And just, like, basically goes on a bender in this club. And first of all, Jodie Comer's eyes take up, like, 90% of her face. And it's never been more obvious than in this episode. There's, like, this slight... (laughs) You mean when she's on ecstasy (laughs) or whatever and her pupils are, like, the size of dinner plates? Yes, and there's, like, this slight, like, fisheye lens, kind of. And they're, like, just, like, you know, I mean, you know, like, the sort of, like, dream sequence shot that, like, everyone always does. And, like, they're following her through this club. And literally her eyes are, like, 90% of the screen. (laughs) This club that literally, like, (laughs) the entrance just is a trapdoor uh-huh. with weird neon lighting. And like fog and, coming out. And dry ice just drifting <laughs> out of it. Sure, it could happen. Really attention getting. Yeah, so she just goes crazy in this club. She like walks around, like tries to make eye contact with some Asian woman. And then she goes in the bathroom. Somebody cuts in line and doesn't go well for them. <laughs> I know. Imagine Villanelle also being the one who's like obeying the rules and not the right. one cutting everyone in line to just use the bathroom. Like that's such a Villanelle thing to do. It is. You know, she's off her game. She's off her game this episode. But yeah, that was it was just fun to watch her go a little crazy again. Yeah, and then she she culminates the going crazy by beating up someone and then Constantine has to literally go in and throw her over his shoulder. Yeah. 
And then she like wakes up on the bed and she's kind of a mess and he's sleeping on the floor. I know. And then there's this like weird parallel moment where like both Eve and Villanelle are like staring very intensely into mirrors. Yes. And I mean, Villanelle is just like, you know, having a classic hotel mirror bathroom cry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Eve is just like, also just side note, why is she primping? In the interrogation mirror. When she knows Carolyn is on the other side, but she's like staring at herself and is way too into herself. I have a slight theory about that that we're going to get into in Fit of the Week. Yes. But first. But first. In line with all this, you know, Villanelle is back on her game in some respects at least. Yes. Out there in the world doing lots of grisly things that Jodie Comer can also do to us. Jodie Comer can stick out her immaculately clad foot and trip me so abruptly in a bar that I faceplant into the floor. That girl goes down hard. But it was all worth it. It was worth it. To have her comfort her. Yep. Jodie Comer can gut me like a literal pig in front of the wife I cheated on while a crowd of touristy bros thinks we're faking my own murder. You know, there are worse ways to go. I can't think of any at the time, but there are worse ways to go. (laughs) I'm sure the show will provide them for us. Jodie Comer can violently choke me out in a bathroom stall for cutting in line. I brought it on myself in that case. You know, yeah, it's your fault. You deserve it. Jody Comer can bribe a prostitute into lurking in their workplace in a vain attempt to catch a glimpse of me investigating the scene of my very grisly crime. It would be an honor. It really would. Speaking of, I've been waiting for this category all week. Oh, my God. I think, like, they've really been saving up their energy all season. Uh, yeah. I have told multiple people this this week. I've tweeted about it. But Jodie Comer has never looked better in an episode of Killing You than she did this week. It's tough, but I think I'm going to have to agree Start with you. Start to finish— she looks amazing. This is really, truly, like, the reins are off. She has full control over her own presentation. And boy, oh boy, do we get to reap the rewards and just yes. looking at her. Yes. Okay, so first off, the first scene we get of Villanelle, I had, like, a verbal reaction to this. It starts on this bridge in Amsterdam and, like, does the classic, like, pan up. And it starts with these, like, floral pants, like, with, like, a bell bottom. And I was like, oh, my God. And then it pans up. She's got, like, a white shirt on with, like, a lipstick print on it. And then this jacket that's, like, like a blazer, but it's cropped on one side and then long on the other side. And it's got, like, a, a tail on it that's got these, like, beautiful folds. It's, <sighs> like, amazingly constructed and also... Props to the hairstyling. Oh my god, her hair looks amazing. That's what really does it, actually, in this episode. Like, she's had better fits, I think, in the course of the show, but her hair looks so good in this episode. Yeah, leak the texturizer for real. Yes, we need, like, I don't know if it's like a texture spray, maybe like some straightener waves. Some sea salt. Actually, we do we know what her natural hair texture is? Maybe this is just one of those things where they're like, we're just gonna, like, style your natural hair. I would be furious if her hair just looked like that. Knowing her, it does. This was just an incredible look. Yeah, just a great, like, Villanelle is, like, out in the wild again. Yeah, back and, on like, her bullshit. <laughs> and commanding her own style choices. Yeah, And boy, oh boy, does it show. Thank goodness. Also, there's literally a moment where, like, we are in the Netherlands. We uh-huh. are in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And so, of course, I think this was definitely a conscious decision to dress on theme because we get this look at her in this, like, gorgeous, romantic, like, billowing tulip skirt. And the way the light is hitting her... She literally looks like a Vermeer painting. 
Yeah. It's literally like girl with a, a pearl earring, except in this case, it's girl with like giant, giant, gold, chunky earrings. <laughs> exactly, like triangles hanging off of her face. Yeah, her hair is back and like that sort of like romantic bun. I agree. I think it is like a, a very deliberate. But like a good, choice. a good counterpoint, you know, yeah. like volume on the bottom, limited volume on the top. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, it's hot pink because it's Villanelle. And we do get that great scene. We're going to talk about this later in quotes, or we could just do it now. We'll just do it now. But yeah, this woman comes up to her and is like, Wow, you look amazing. Can I take a picture of you for my Instagram? No. No, of course not. Don't be pathetic. Get a real life. (laughs) Savage. Just absolutely. (laughs) Poor girl. Although I feel like Villanelle would never have an Instagram. Right. Like, Constantine would never let her post about stuff. Uh Uh-huh. But I could totally see her, like, subscribing to a bunch because, like, what is more Villanelle than just, like, being bored and, like, scrolling through an endless feed of pretty things to stimulate your imagination? It's true. It's true. She would be be an Instagram girl if, like, she wasn't an assassin and psychopath. And then also, she would be into it. Actually, yeah, I feel like sociopathy is, like, definitely a plus (laughs) in the Instagram influencer game. That feels true. That feels true. But, yeah, holy, holy Moses, that is just a... Great look. Beautiful Jodie Comer look. It's a great look. And then, of course, we mentioned this, but that animal mask, like, frilly milkmaid situation. Horrifying. That feels like a deliberate echo of that the famous Molly Goddard dress from last season. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of pink in this episode. And then just really, they just added this on at the end. They had already, like, hit a home run with all the looks for this episode. When Villanelle is waiting for Eve and then sort of, like, goes on her bender in Amsterdam, She's wearing, like, this dark green silk, like, dressing gown. Her hair is, like, in a half bun. It's, like, very silky and long. This is how she looks at her worst. This is, like, I am on a bender (laughs) and really torn up about my girlfriend who doesn't love me anymore. It's incredible. It's such, like, a low effort just home run. It's amazing. I need this. I need this for personal lounging purposes. Absolutely, my robe game is really lacking. This has made me realize. She looks so good. Villanelle definitely, obviously, occupies the lion's share of fit of the week. But we did have some honorable mentions. Yes, Constantine coming in hot (laughs) with like this print, and Villanelle gives him shit for it. But he's got like this printed like tunic shirt. Respectfully disagree, Villanelle. I mean, like you got to be you got to be rude to your dad whenever he tries to make any. Yeah, I thought he looked great. He looks cool. It was like this like very long like button down tunic and then he had like a tunic over it with like rolled up sleeves. Some layering action. Yeah. He's like, like basically wow. a Rick Owens model at this yeah, point. Lots honestly, of weird I was I was like, you're in Amsterdam, you're feeling yourself. Get after it, Constantine. I mean, you gotta dis- you gotta distract yourself from your family thinking you're dead and being in another country. Exactly. That you you've know? just made the choice to like fully abandon and commit to life right. with an unstable assassin. Yeah, he's going through it right now. And he's just, you know, can have some retail therapy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you have you have a theory. I do have a theory. So Eve is kind of just like the last half of this episode, she or even in the beginning, she's kind of just like, I'm over Villanelle, I don't care, trying to basically convince herself of that. And she's focusing more on the ghost, as we can see, with which has great results. She gets her. But at the end of the episode, she gets the ghost. She's getting ready in the interrogation room to talk to the ghost. And she's wearing a button down under a sweater, which is very similar to the one that she wore to dinner with Villanelle in the first season where she's like, is that a sweater attached to a shirt? Like very clearly like disapproves of that outfit. Like you can do better. It seems like maybe a deliberate choice. Listen, I choose to believe it. I buy into it. (laughs) Yeah, because she's, you know, she's, she dressed up for she's dressed up for Villanelle in the past, and she knows that she likes her in certain kinds of clothing that is does not include this kind of clothing. And now she's like, these are my 
throwing down with assassin clothes. Exactly, exactly. And she's like, I'm not dressing for her. I'm dressing for me. And like, this is the frumpy things that I like to wear. So like, this is what I'm wearing. And then also when she's looking in the mirror, she like very deliberately puts her hair up. Which she also does when she's sitting across from Hugo, which I read is very much, it's like a power gesture. I think she's very conscious that her hair is one of her most striking attributes. And if she like calls attention to it and, Mm -hmm. and toys around with it, it's very much a like, like a lion's mane situation. Right. Yeah. So it just seems like a sort of like just closing herself off from Villanelle in like this frumpy outfit that she knows she doesn't like, putting her hair up when Villanelle in the past, obviously we know, likes it down. And yeah, so it just seemed like a little like, just kind of like a little fuck you to Villanelle at the end. Yep. And then a cliffhanger. Yes. So yes, yes. we'll see what happens on that for next week. But for now, we're just going to run through some quotes of the week, some candidates for the rat holding a can of Coke award for best dialogue. I think we got to start with... Uh, Villanelle takes some inspiration this week. She does. You know, much like me on my post-college graduation, like, crash course Euro trip, <laughs> takes a trip to the Rags Museum. Sure. What a beautiful institution. Striking building, beautiful plaza. You can get a great waffle right outside. Love it. But she and Constantine are walking <laughs> through the galleries, and a childlike psychopath with no impulse control is, like, maybe not the best person <laughs> maybe not. to go on a museum tour with. So, obviously, uh, she just starts screaming about how bored she is uh, in the middle of, a, like, a hushed crowd. Classic. But then she sees this painting of two dudes just hanging from a ladder, having had their insides split open, mm-hmm. and uh, their guts just, like, bleeding out all over them. Yep. And... You know, as we see later, she she applies this inspiration very directly in her work. She sure does. If, <laughs> it's like a Pinterest board for assassins. You just go to a museum and you see, like, all the old-timey ways that people used to murder people. Oh, horrible. But the most her, horrible her, mood board. Her first impression when she looks at it is just, they look like bacon. They kind of do. Which also, I don't know if you were a fan of the late, great NBC series, Hannibal. I was not, unfortunately. Well... All you need to know is It was is a little that, too gory for me. Yes. It's very gory. It's very meticulous. And in the final season, there's uh, he's in Italy, and Hannibal stages a multiple homicide and, like, hangs the corpses to look oh. like they're a Botticelli painting. Oh, great. Yeah, which, like, <laughs> <laughs> who knew that posing corpses like classical artworks is going to be a common trope in TV, but— I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here for this crossover. Maybe yes. maybe Mads Mikkelsen will do a guest role Oh, my God. Season. That'd be incredible. <laughs> Just amazing. But, yeah, lots of other candidates this week, as always. Um, when they're in the tech office, um, <laughs> even— Jess are talking about, like, basically, like, comparing it to BuzzFeed and are, like, they sit around on beanbags talking about which Doctor Who companion they most like to spaff off to. Great expression. Don't think I've heard that one before. Extremely good. And Eve just immediately is like, Rose Tyler, come on, she's adorable. She's thought about this before. She has, and Rose Tyler is adorable. She's adorable. Love Billy Piper. Oh, yeah. Also, this feels like an interesting confirmation that Eve's bisexuality might not be totally unique to Villanelle. You're right. You're right. That is true. It was like a little side hint there for us. Yeah. And then also, you know, we, we did the Instagram comment. That was great. When they're investigating the first murder from the ghost, the secretary. Actually, some great lines from Jess this this episode. Yeah, Jess can really hold her own. She can. I think that's something we really appreciate. Unfortunately, they did not fully bear out the whole, we're just never going to mention her pregnancy thing. Right. But, but I can still appreciate that it's been subtle to a certain extent. Yeah, but yeah, when she finds the, they're talking about the crime scene, she goes, it's one thing being murdered, but the indignity of being found in the midst of bleaching your mustache. It's tough. I mean, <laughs> it's a great point. <laughs> Although we see some uh, further indignity 
later in the episode when the guy is murdered in a brothel. So, you know, comparatively. It's all relative. Comparatively, we're doing I mean, okay. I guess for like a secretary, like the secretary was not going to brothels in a way that kind of invites right. that sort of humiliation. Right. She was just living her That's life. That's true. She didn't deserve it. She the guy put in deserved decades it. of valuable service to a tech mogul. You're right. And then finally, um, Constantine and Villanelle are really like at close quarters, maybe at the end of the rope with one another. I'm curious to see like how durable this situation is mm-hmm. because... I don't know, like, it really sucks for Constantine that he's, like, now kind of saddled with this yeah. really unstable person. It does. It sucks for him. <laughs> um, and then at one point he just says, like, don't make me regret this. And then then like, signature that, like, lilting, weird Jodie Comer voice that she kind of used where put it on the bill last week. Uh-huh. like, what else were you going to do? <laughs> it's a great Which, question. I mean, great question, but also really dark. It is. Poor Constantine. Yeah. yeah. He's he's either going to, like, reach a breaking point one of these days or, I don't know. We'll yeah. see. And before we, like, totally wrap up the discussion of the actual plot of the episode, mm-hmm. a big, like, flashpoint between Constantine and Villanelle. At first, Constantine is, like, show Eve Pilaster what she's missing to, like, motivate yeah. Villanelle. But he's like, she doesn't care about you anymore. She's moved on. And that impression is only compounded for but for Villanelle when Jess shows up instead of Eve to investigate right. this big murder that she did, despite that postcard she sent with the painting on it yeah. to MI6 that Carolyn intercepted. But it's just a big, a big theme of this season is the idea that maybe the fascination between Eve and Villanelle isn't mutual anymore. The idea that, like, the ghost is a rival for Eve's affections, and this has been kind of mounting. Right. And, yeah, Villanelle is not handling it great. Okay, so we're going to get to predictions for the next episode in a minute, but real quick, we wanted to do some research into some extended Killing Eve syllabi. And, boy, did you do some research. I did a bit. This is incredibly impressive. So I wanted to find out more about the painting that she was inspired by, and so I Googled, like, all sorts of combinations of, like, Dead man painting, hanging upside down, stomach slit, like Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> and that yielded all sorts of extremely fun results, as I'm sure you can imagine. But I, eventually, I eventually found it. Um, so this is the painting that Villanelle is inspired by is called The Corpses of the DeWitt Brothers by Jan de Bayen from 1672. It's at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. And so it's the corpse, the nude flayed corpses of Johan and Cornelis DeWitt on public display. And basically, they, Johan, I believe, was the prime minister, and they were assassinated by, like, this giant group of, like, crazy people, basically. So the French writer, Alexandre Dumas, um, wrote a version recounting the events in The Black Tulip, and this is what he said. Every one of the miscreants wanted to fire his gun at him, strike him with blows of the sledgehammer, or stab him with knives or swords. Everyone wanted to draw a drop of blood from the fallen hero, tear off a shred of his garments. With no guard in sight, the crowd burst in and dragged the brothers out. The mob then literally ripped them to pieces. They then went on to, like, kill them, literally ripped them to pieces, dragged their bodies to this place where they hung them up. And then, basically, as Dumas puts it, Then came the most dastardly scoundrels of all who, not having dared to strike the living flesh, cut the dead in pieces and then went about the town selling small slices of the bodies of Johan and Cornelius at 10 sous apiece. Yikes. Very chill. Very casual. There are also rumors that they ate parts of them. Um, Not fully represented in this painting. First of all, thank you so much for this look and dear process. It's so revealing. (laughs) But in the painting, there are lots of like little cuts all over their bodies. But I Mm -hmm. think the, the scariest detail is that they're literally like ripped open and the 
guts are so like strewn about that there's almost nothing left in the body cavity. Uh-huh. It's just like you can basically like see through to the other side of the body. And it's just a very haunting image that would naturally be just incredibly attractive to yes. a murderer. And one last little detail that I think probably has nothing to do with killing Eve, but I had to mention in case it does. One person who wrote about this said, the rage seemed to be spontaneous, but was in fact well-organized and planned by orangist militiamen. So like this idea that like there's all this chaos, but it's actually being orchestrated actually by planned. like a higher power and organization. Mm. The Just so much subtext. You I know. love to look to 17th century European politics. I for love it. My inspiration. So just to keep that in mind. And then one other thing that just sparked my interest in this episode. I didn't know about this. Did you know about this? No, I've eaten some, I had some weird stuff on that Amsterdam trip. Uh-huh. I had, they have a, a lovely dish that's French fries with Thai satay sauce and straight mayo. Huh. That sounds disgusting, but was just delightful. Honestly, sounds great. I but I <laughs> definitely never ate sprinkles on bread. So yeah, in this episode, we see Villanelle eating hagelslag, which I was like, she's eating chocolate sprinkles on bread. Like, what is that? And it is a real thing where it's like a, a food that people eat all the time. I thought it was like some like furikake style, like seaweed, some weird like dried ingredient. But no, it's like literally just chocolate sprinkles. Yeah. And then I also like was like, oh, maybe Villanelle, like it's just like another way to like, though she's a little girl, like she like is eating weird food. But like, no, it's an extremely popular snack. You make plain, you just like take plain white bread, you put butter on it. And then they sell all these different kinds of sprinkles that are literally just meant to put on buttered bread. I don't want to sound closed-minded. This isn't even, like, especially exotic. It just doesn't sound good. I agree. It sounds really weird. I don't like sprinkles on my ice cream, where you're technically Same. supposed to have them. Same. I'm also anti-sprinkles in that respect, so I am wondering if maybe, like, somebody who likes sprinkles would be into this. They're just deeply inferior. Uh, but this, yeah, this article that I read about it, people, like, all, everyone in this, like, American office tried it and were really into it. Like, really into it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll organize a tasting for The Ringer. <laughs> we'll do, like, a finale viewing party or something where we just all eat sprinkles on bread. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if you've had Hagelslag and you really like it or you hate it, like, just tweet at us or something and let yeah. us know. But, yeah, this was new to me. Also, while we're on people tweeting at us in various European customs, yes. did want to quickly note... Uh, Jodie Comer's accent last week before she murders was not Irish. It was Scottish, which is 100% my fault, but I'm still blaming Kate for it because you have (laughs) Scottish family. That's true. I have a brother in Scotland. I should have known. Um, I also did not necessarily catch that that was Scottish. But but thank you to the people who actually live in the United Kingdom who picked up on that and let us know about it. Obviously, we are all the way here in America where we are much less exposed to people of other nationalities. We don't know accents. We don't know sprinkles on bread. I'm really sorry. Just the important part is that Jodie Comer did it flawlessly and yes. continues to be great. But These are our limitations. Yes. Okay, so predictions for the next episode. What do we think is coming? So I think we are kind of overdue for like a full extended interaction between Eve and Villanelle. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just because like the fifth episode last season Ooh. was the big dinner. You're right. So I maybe I'm just kind of like feeling that itch a little bit. Yeah, it's got to be soon. It's got to be this one or the next one. Yeah, like, I I feel like we can't keep having these like they're just so close to each other. Right. Especially now that Villanelle is like, I want to go back to London and exactly. see my girlfriend and like yeah. remind her that I exist. Yeah, and and yeah, there's it's such a breaking point right now. It feels like, especially Villanelle, that it feels like she's going to do something crazy, which you know <laughs> could include showing up in Eve's house and killing her bodyguard or her husband. 
you know. Or both. Or both. (laughs) Poor Jordan. Um, Oh, man. Poor Nico. So, yeah, we'll see about that. Um, I'm wondering whether Eve will be able to handle this interrogation. We've kind of seen in the past she hasn't been great in interrogation scenes just because she gets very emotional and she doesn't have great control over her impulses and her desire to say certain things. So I'm wondering how that will play out with the ghost. Yeah, I'm also just curious, like, what the ghost is going to be like. Like, we just see her in this episode when she thinks Eve is just, like, some random other person and she's still in my, like, I'm a normal, not serial murderer drag. Right, right. I'm very curious whether she's just going to be, like, totally stoic, if she's going to be, like, I'm kind of in over my head. Like, I'm not a psychopathic villanelle. I actually care about these people not being in pain. Right. I was disgraced as a doctor. This was a way to, like, feed my family. I'm just very curious, like, where on the spectrum she's going to land. And like you mentioned, just how that's going to square off with, like, Eve's tendency to fly a wee bit off the handle. Yes. And my last question slash prediction was the last thing we saw of Villanelle in this episode was her crying into the mirror, which is, like, kind of huge for someone who isn't really supposed to experience emotions like regular people and is a psychopath and isn't... Strong point. You know? And that's like when Constantine earlier is like, how did you feel when you were like stringing this man up like a pig in a window? And she's like, I didn't feel anything. And is like super defensive about it. Right, right. So... So, and we've seen her fake cry so often. We've seen her like pretend to have these emotions. And I kept waiting for that in the last moment, like, or the last scene when she was looking into the mirror. I kept waiting for her to like smile or be like, oh no, I still don't feel anything. But she really did. And then she looked kind of like happy that she could feel something? Yeah, maybe that's sort of part of the mirror thing is that she wants to observe herself having emotions because that's so much of her MO is like observing other people and then imitating them. Yeah, and there was that contrast between Eve sort of like stony face looking into the mirror and Villanelle having this like very rare emotional reaction. So, I mean, we're in this weird space now where like, can we trust that Villanelle has like actual feelings for Eve? Because like even in last season, like the quote unquote love of her life, supposed love of her life shot herself in the head and we were, like, waiting for her to have a real reaction to that. And she just looked at her and walked away. She She'd sp- moved on, right. I guess. <laughs> so now it's, like, on this plane where we haven't explored this at all before, where, like, she actually is crying and, like, really emotionally cares. Yeah, and a little bit of, like, an inversion there where, like, Eve is suddenly the one exactly. who's got a, a tighter tighter hand on her emotions. Right. But there's a lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, we've got some sort of unexplored territory here. The desperate times continue. Oh, they do. And on that note, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in every Sunday after Killing Eve airs, and we'll see you for the next four weeks. 